0: You're listening to online media from Glendale Christian Church. For more information, visit us at GlendaleCC.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at GlendaleCCKY. Thanks for being here today. It's good to see all of you here. And uh, we want to welcome in our online community as well. Thanks for joining us on Facebook Live. It is a good day. Man, we get to celebrate the hope that we have because death has been defeated. Death has been swallowed up. And we don't have to fear death anymore. And that's a good thing, right? Right? Yeah, okay. A few of you are not alone. Yeah. Hey, this is going to be kind of a, uh, if I say something, you can talk back a little bit, okay? It's, it's, it's one of those days. About a year ago, a song came out uh, on Christian radio, Christian group, and I heard that song right about Easter. And I thought, man, that's a sermon there. That's an Easter sermon. And so for about the last year I've been thinking about this sermon. So if I'm a little keyed up, a little, maybe a little anxious and nervous, it's because I've been thinking about this for a year. I've been waiting a year to to tell you this. And so so I hope that you'll you'll kind of bear with me because on that first Sunday, that Easter Sunday, that, that first morning, there were no streetlights or headlights, even flashlights. There were just a couple of scared women walking through a big city, getting ready to head out into the woods. And Mary, the, the woman from Magdalene, she, she was probably thinking to herself on the way out to, to the woods, man, if he, if Jesus, if he'd only come into Jerusalem during a, a little different time, if, if only his disciples had been able to hide him better, if only he hadn't come into the empire when there was just so much turmoil going on, if only Peter could have, could have fight, fought off with his sword, if only Peter could have done that, if only, if only. Mary was probably in her mind trying to do what all of us try and do at some point or another. And that's to to reverse the story, to to reverse the past, to go backwards, to turn back the clock, so to speak. And that's what some of you may even be trying to do today. You you might be trying to to turn the story around, to to go back in time, thinking about if only. right? If only I hadn't done this, if only I hadn't done that. Because here's the reality, some parts of our story are absolutely terrifying. Some parts of our story are absolutely horrifying, and we think, if only I could have done this, if only I had done that. If only I hadn't been fiddling with the radio uh, in the car at that moment. If only I, I hadn't gone to that party that night. If only I hadn't slipped that hotel key card into the keyhole. If, if only I had told her that I loved her. Or if only I hadn't. If only, right? Some of you have questions in your mind. You have an image uh, of something that you would love to reverse, that you would love to erase. And I believe that's probably true for all of us. That we would all, there's something we would all love to be able to go back and redo, right? That we all like to be able to erase from, from the course of history. If you haven't had that moment yet, you will. Because all of us will one day find ourselves hearing the, the whirling of machines around us, the beeping of monitors, the pulling off of ventilators, the, the the rustling of cords, all of us will experience what we can't imagine now, the primal fear that we are slipping into the night of death. I've been told that in that moment that your life flashes before your eyes, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I know this that if it is, it's because we are, it is because we are asking. In that moment, could I turn back time? Could, could I reverse the course of the story? Could I, could I change something? Is there something I could have done? Is there something I could have erased? Every, every person asks that question. Because your little story and my little story is, much, is part of a much larger, a much bigger, a much more meaningful, a much deeper story. A, a story that tells us that why things aren't just quite right. Why things are the way that they are in the world. In fact, that story begins in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. We see that story begin to unfold. It's a story of something that is wrecked. It's a story of something that went wrong in a garden at, at one of the earliest points in history. A wreck that you and I have been reliving and, and repeating all of our lives. Here's what scripture says. We'll start in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, The man and his wife heard the Lord God talking about in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said. That's why I ate it. So then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and, the pain you, and it's in pain that you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, And though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. It's in this story, in this garden, Genesis chapter 3, in, the, in this Garden of Eden, it's the first time that we see something die. It's a garden that has now been ruined and turned into a grave. Fast forward a few thousand years, though. This, this woman named Mary who's walking in this garden now, she thinks that she's uh, facing a personal crisis. She thinks that it's a coincidence that she winds up in this garden. But, but Scripture tells us that what she's facing here is not just... A personal crisis. It, it's, it's an ancient curse that she's facing. It's the curse that has been on the universe from, from, from that first point back in Genesis 3. And as this woman stands in this garden, what she sees now as she looks into an empty tomb is not a happy ending to a story that she's been playing out to herself. It's better than that. What, what she sees is God reversing the story of the universe. Here's what John chapter 19 says. This says, afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and he took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfume ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so because it was the day of the preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And then you get into chapter 20, and this is my favorite part of the whole story. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And she found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. That's amazing. I got choked up at this part in first service too. Because this is an incredible moment. I, I don't know that we on this side of the story grasp the enormity of what we just read. I, you all understand what I'm saying There's Sometimes we read something and like we go, oh yeah, that's a big deal. But we weren't there, so like I don't know that we grasp the enormity of how big a deal this is. Early on Sunday morning, still dark. The sun hasn't come up yet. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and she sees that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. And when she sees that, she, she runs and says she ran, and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She's talking about John. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, why would she say that? Why would she say, we don't know where they've put him? Because nobody expected nobody. They all expected Jesus to die. They saw him crucified. They saw him put in the tomb. They all expected that that the story was over. And that's where he was going to be. And so when she's going there, he's not there. Nobody. She didn't expect to find an empty tomb. What she expected to find was a body. And so she tells the other disciples, I don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They reached they were both running, but the other disciple outrun, outran Peter. I think that's John's way of bragging. He says, I outran him. And Peter and they reached the tomb first. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Verse 10 seems like the most out of place verse to me. <laughs> that's how you know it's a true story. Because who would have put that in there, right? You, you've just gotten to this empty tomb. And John says, I, I went in there and, and when I saw what I saw, it, it clicked. Something in that moment, it clicked for me. And I believed. I understood that Jesus said he had to raise himself from the dead. That he had to be resurrected. And then we went home. <laughs> that, that, like, I, don't, I don't know what I would have done in that moment. I don't think I would have gone home. But, but that's what they did. They went home. And it's, uh, so they went home. Mary, it says, was standing outside the tomb crying. At, and as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. I don't know if she understood what all had, had taken place yet. But she's crying. She stoops and she looks into this tomb. And it says she saw two white-robed angels. One sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She still hasn't caught on to what's happened yet. She turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. And it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought, it says, he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned She turned to him and she cried out, teacher. I love that. I don't know that we'll recognize Jesus physically. I hate to break it to all of us that think that Jesus is as fair-skinned as we are. He grew up in Africa in the middle of the desert. He's probably not very light-skinned. We probably wouldn't recognize him physically, but Mary didn't recognize him physically, but... When he called her name, she recognized his voice. She recognized the sound of Jesus calling her name. And I, I believe this with all my heart, that we may not recognize Jesus physically, but we will recognize his voice when he calls our name. There is nothing sweeter than the sound of your name being called by someone you loved, is it? I believe that we will recognize the voice of Jesus when he calls her name. And Mary when she hears Jesus' voice, she, she recognizes who, that, who it is. She turns to him and she cries out, teacher. And then Jesus says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them this message. There's a couple things about this, this story that, hap- that takes place in this garden that I want you to recognize that I, that I want to point out to you. And the first one is this, is that God is reversing the story of corruption. That's what's taking place here, that in this garden, God is reversing the story of corruption. Scripture tells us that Mary goes into a garden, which was also a grave place. It says that after Jesus had been crucified, they, they took down his body and, and they placed it in this tomb that was in this garden because it was close by. Nobody wanted to haul a body a long way. They, it was close by. It was convenient. So this is where we're going to put him. And it was a, supposed to be a temporary spot. Jesus knew it was going to be a temporary grave, but the disciples didn't know that. It was just a temporary spot. We'll, we'll get him when Passover's over and we'll, we'll move him to a more permanent spot. But they laid him in this borrowed tomb of a rich man in this garden. We tend to misunderstand what, what I think that garden looked like because we think of a grave and of a garden and we think of the fake gardens that we've constructed around all of our cemeteries and memorial gardens and you know the rolling meadow gardens that are, that are all kept neat with somebody coming through with weed eaters and lawnmowers, and everything looks so stately and clean and all those kind of things. But that wasn't this kind of garden. This was, a, was not a memorial garden. This was a working garden that Mary found herself in. It, it, was, a, it was a garden that would have had vegetables growing in it and, and perhaps, you know, so, some grapes growing. Mary walks into this garden and what she thinks that she has discovered is a grave robbing. That's what she thinks she's walked into, a, a grave robbing. She walks up, she sees the stone is empty. It's been rolled away. She sees the cloths that would have been, it would have been used to wrap up the corpse. She, she would have seen the images there of corruption. And she wonders and she asks, Where have they taken him? Where, where have they taken him? Someone has come in and they have robbed this grave. They, they have taken the body of this man whose words I have believed. They have taken the body of this man who I, have, who I have left everything to follow, who I've given up everything, and they've taken his body and I don't know where he's at. She was seeing the story of corruption. But what she wasn't seeing was that God was reversing the story of corruption. When she didn't know where he was at, she says they've taken him. She could not have been more wrong. She just didn't know it yet. The text says that after Mary goes back and she speaks to the disciples, and she tells the disciples, somebody's taken him. And they run back to the tomb, and and they see the fact that it's now empty. And the Bible tells us that she looks in there, and she sees a couple of angels sitting in the grave. And and instead of inviting her into the grave, they point her out to the garden. "Go, Go out to the garden. That's where Jesus is. He's not in the grave. He's in the garden. Go out to the garden. Mary is seeing, although she can't understand what is happening, that God is taking the path that that you and I are on toward corruption, that we've been on since since the sin in the Garden of Eden, the sin that, that has caused our entire world to be corrupt. And God is taking us off of that path and he's turning it backwards. He's reversing the story. The Bible tells us that at the, beginning of, at the beginning point of history in that other garden, when, when the woman ate from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil and the man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a curse came upon the universe and which, which cursed all of the universe and cursed all of humanity, all of mankind. It, it was a curse that would see their bodies turned back into dust and a world that was, would now be full of thorns and thistles. But what the gospel of the resurrection tells us is that Jesus took that curse upon himself. He took it upon himself. Those thorns that would appear on the ground would be pressed down onto his head as he hung on a cross. He, the king of all the universe, the the, the one who was there when God said, let there be light, he was there when that happened. When God said, let us make man in our image, he was talking to Jesus. Jesus was there, the king of all the universe, now hung on a cross. Taken down off a cross, purple and bloated, drowning in his own blood, water pouring out from his side where they had stabbed him. He was a dead body. He was a corpse. He was under the bondage to corruption. And Mary expected to find him in that condition when she went to the tomb that day. She, she was bringing with her some spices and, and she was going to bring some embalming stuff to, to just try and preserve him just a little bit longer till they could get him in a more permanent tomb. But she doesn't find him there. She doesn't find the corruption of that first garden in this garden. Instead, she finds angels. Just as angels have been present in that first garden when, when they were there after the, after the sin of mankind, after the sin of Adam and Eve, that God placed garden uh, angels on the outside of the garden to guard it and to tell, tell mankind, hey, don't come in here. I don't want you to come in here and eat from the tree of life because I don't want you to be, remain in this fallen state for all of eternity. I don't want you to have uh, life without hope. And so he stations an angel there that was used as a warning sign to keep people out. But this time in this garden, an angel speaks to Mary and he says to the woman, Go out into the garden. And he points her out of the grave. And she runs out of that hole in the ground because Jesus wasn't there. And then she runs into someone that she thinks is a stranger. So God is beginning to reverse the story of corruption. The second thing I want you to notice in this garden is that God reverses the story of alienation. Mary's standing there in verse 11 outside the grave and she thinks that she's alone in this garden. She, she's sobbing and she's crying. She can't wrap her head around what, is, what she's witnessed. And, and she thinks that her whole world is coming to an end when someone speaks to her. When someone speaks out to her and says, hey, why are you crying? Why are you so upset? What, what's wrong with you? And the Bible tells us that, that she thought this was a hired worker, someone who was working in the garden, who was tilling the ground. And she turns and she starts sobbing to him to tell her what, what's happened. Until, until she hears her name. Until Jesus calls out her name. You see, part of what has happened to all of us when it comes to the sin in our life is that it alienates us from one another. It, it alienates us from God. It separates us from each other. It separates us from God. But, but the story that is told in the very beginning... It, it, it starts there. Separation from God begins in that garden. When the woman ate of the, the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, she ate that fruit and the man ate that fruit. Suddenly they realized that they were naked and they started to hide from one another. That, that community that they had with God was now broken. Scriptures tell us that in the cool of the day that God would take, uh, take kind of evening walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? What that must have been like? This God... And Adam and Eve strolling through the garden. The only people on the planet. Everything's just as it should be. Just, just as God had intended it. And, and there's this community. There's this bond that God has with them. But then one day God comes into the garden to take a walk. And sin and death have now entered into the world because of Adam and Eve's decision. And scripture says that, that, that they were hiding. They were hiding. God calls out to them, hey, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? And they they respond, hey, we're we're hiding. They, They shrunk back because they didn't want God to see them. But in this garden, in this garden several thousand years later, something's different. Jesus looks at this woman and he calls her by name. And she grabs him and she starts crying the same way that you would, you would grab a, a loved one if you thought that they had been hurt and you thought that they weren't okay. You'd say, oh, I, I'm so thankful you're okay. You know, I thought you were in a car wreck and, and, and I thought you were, you were gone, but you, you're alive, you're okay, everything is good, I'm so happy to see you, right? That's how she responds. But what's Jesus say? This is proof that Jesus was a man. He doesn't say, hey, it's good to see you too, Right? He says, no, 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 go to my brothers. Go tell my brothers. Go go talk to them. Go get them. And and that's so incredible to me, too, because these same brothers that he's talking about, they were the ones that just a couple days earlier were willing to deny him, willing to abandon him when when he needed them most. They're the ones that are still hiding right now, afraid for their lives. He says, go to my brothers. You see, Jesus walked into her story and into your story and into my story And he says, Hey, it's me. It's Jesus. And because it's me, everything is okay. You see, the kind of sin and fear that keeps us hiding from one another and hiding from God, Jesus walks right out of the grave. And he reverses it. He turns it around. That's the power that Jesus has to turn graves into gardens. And he's the only one that has the power to do that. He's the only one that has the power to remove sin from your life. I can't do that for you. Mike can't do that for you. Your your brother can't do that for you. Your sister can't. Your mother, your father, your kids can't do that. Only Jesus has the power to take sin away from you. And he did it. And he does it in this garden. One more thing, Two more things I want you to notice. The next one is this. God also reverses the story of condemnation. When, when Mary grabs hold of him, she says, Oh Lord, I'm so glad you're okay. Teacher, I, I'm so glad that you're here. I saw them crucify you. I saw them put the nails in your hands. I saw them stab you in the side. I saw them take you down off the cross. I saw them put you in this tomb. I saw all of this. And Jesus says, Hey, not good to see you too, Mary. He says, No, no, no. He says, I have not ascended yet to my God. Why does Jesus say that? I always think that's kind of peculiar, that that that's his response. Go tell my brothers that I have not yet ascended to to the Father. Well, here's why he he does that. Because Jesus isn't like you and me. He he doesn't have anything to to keep or or to hide. There is no blackmail against Jesus because he has perfectly kept all of the law of God for all his entire life there there is no break in fellowship between God and and Jesus there is no break in fellowship between the son and the father Jesus says not only am I not hiding into the bushes but Jesus also says I'm walking right out of this tomb and into the presence of God I'm not afraid to stand before God because there's nothing for me to be afraid of the Bible says that that the only ones who are going to be able to ascend to the hill of the father to the hill of the Lord are are ones that, that are righteous That God will only receive those who are righteous and God's going to show us one day who all of those people are because He's going to open up their graves and He's going to call them out of a tomb. And they're going to walk out of the grave just like Jesus did and into a new garden. And on that Sunday morning, before dawn, when the roll was called up yonder, that's a good hymn, isn't it, Ray? Before before the roll was called up yonder, there was only one name on that roll. Only one human was able to to walk away from condemnation, to walk away from the rule of death and walk right into the presence of the Father. And his name was Jesus, the name above all names. Every one of us in this room, we have been under the sentence of, of condemnation. And the judgment for that is death. We need to understand that. The judgment for condemnation is death. Everybody in this room ha- has been hiding. So, some of you still are. Some of you still are. You're still hiding just as the first man and the first woman hid behind the leaves that, that they had built for themselves. And they, they, they slowed their breathing down. They stilled their movements, hoping that God would pass by and not notice. Some of you are living your life that way. You're, 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 you're living like God's not going to notice the open rebellion that you're living in. But it's not behind bushes that you're hiding. It's, it's behind the world that God's created for you. It's behind the life that God's given to you. And you're living as if God will not notice that rebellion. But, but here's the painful truth. And, it, and it's a painful truth. The truth is, is that we are all guilty. And you know it and I know it. We are all guilty. But there's good news To go with that painful truth. And the good news is that the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus has already stood in our place. He has already taken on that condemnation. Every bit of hell that we deserve. That you deserve. That I deserve. And we deserve a lot of it. Every bit of it. He is completely absorbed for us. And he's he's able to walk out of that grave and say I am ascending to my father. I am not afraid to be in his presence. And the even better news for us is that he's not ashamed of us either. He says, go and tell my brothers, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Now some of you in this room, some of you watching online, you might still be under condemnation. Some some of you don't know what it means to have that kind of confession that this Middle Eastern woman has had. When you you trust Christ, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, when when you identify with him through baptism and his death, burial, and resurrection, when you believe all of those things, you, you are believing that. Not because it's unbelievable. You're, you're believing that because God has called us to, to, to test our faith. You realize that? that believing in Jesus is the first, is when faith begins, and that's the very first test? Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the risen, uh, the, Son, the Son of God, who is ascended from the, from the Father? You realize that that is the very first test of our faith? To believe that? And so when we 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 don't believe that because it's unbelievable, we believe it. And we confess that. And when we confess that, what we're confessing is that we don't deserve to be alive. We're confessing that all of the grace and the mercy that has been given to us, we don't deserve. Only He deserves to be alive. And only He deserves to be in the presence of the Father. And the only hope that I have before God is that Jesus would shed His blood for me. And that God would raise Jesus from the dead. And so, the reason that we're brothers and sisters with Jesus is not because we got our life all cleaned up and we got our act together before we ever stepped foot into church. It's not because of any of that. It's not because we quit sinning. We're not going to quit sinning. We're humans. We're going to keep sinning. It's not because of any of that. The, The reason that we are brothers and sisters with Jesus is because when we ask God to count his death as our death, and we're asking God to count his resurrection as our resurrection. We, we look and we see him and we say, I want to follow him. I want to follow Jesus even through death. I want to be able to follow him into that grave, but even better, to walk out of that grave and into that new garden. Because Jesus, you are the only one. You are the only one who has the power to turn graves into gardens. Last thing I want you to notice and then we're done. I want you to notice that, Jesus, that God is reversing the story of deception. Jesus speaks to Mary, and, and what's significant in, the gar- in this garden is that he's speaking to a woman. Scripture tells us that in the beginning, that, that in that story with the serpent, that the serpent came to the woman and he deceived her. And then the woman used her relationship with her husband uh, to say to him, Hey, join me in this rebellion. And God says, You listened to the serpent, and you both were deceived. You, you listened to, to the voice of the woman, and you've been deceived. You, you all have been deceived. But notice what happens in the second garden. In this garden. This woman is not deceived. Jesus shows shows himself to her and all the lies that she's ever been told to her, Jesus turns those around. He turns her around and he shows her the truth. He shows her that he is the truth, right? That he's he's the way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, right? The Word of God is like that. Jesus says to her, all these lies you've been told. Here's the truth. But here's the deal. Mary wasn't the only one in that garden. She's not the only one that had been there. The Bible tells us that there were soldiers who, who pulled the spikes out of Jesus' body. Who, there were soldiers who went home and they washed the blood of Jesus out from underneath their fingernails. And they washed uh, the water that had splashed on their face from Jesus' abdomen off of their face. And they went home and they had supper and they played with their children and their grandchildren before going to bed that night. Scriptures tells us that, that there were guards that were in front of the tomb that were there when the, they saw the body come out of that hole in the ground. And, and then Scripture says that they took a sufficient amount of money to say that it was all made up. Right Here, I'm going to pay you a certain amount of money and you just, you just try and deceive people and tell everybody it was all made up, that it didn't actually happen. I wonder what a sufficient amount of money would be. See, the issue is that part of what the serpent holds us with is, is right now is, is by being blinded in our minds by what is true that's right in front of us. I mean, think, think about this. A few days before, the, the disciples were, were scared to death. They were scared to death. They, they, they were practically, and I don't want to be too hard on them, but they were practically useless. I mean, really, they were. They were practically useless. They were scared to death. And some of you, you're going to be able to hear the proclamation of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you're going to be able to walk out those doors in a few minutes. And you're going to be able to think about anything else. You're going to be able to think about what you're going to have for lunch. You're going to be able to think about how many Easter eggs you're going to hunt and find. and You're going to be thinking about who's going to win the ball game tomorrow night. You're going to be able to think about anything but this. Maybe you can tell yourself that somebody really did take the body. That the soldiers that took that money, their lie was true. That it really didn't happen. Maybe, just maybe. But, remember those disciples that three days before were, were worthless, useless. Who were running for their lives, who were scared to death. What had to change for them to all of a sudden become willing to put their life on the line? To be willing to, to, to be crucified, to have their, slit's throat, uh, their, their throat slit, have, to have their skin peeled off their bones. Rather than just to simply say the words, hey, we never actually saw him alive. Something had to change, right? And you know what changed? It was because they saw a body. They saw someone who was dead and was now living. That's what changed. Maybe you can say to yourself that that that's the case, that they didn't actually see. But I think deep down, in your heart of hearts, I think you know the awful truth. That if you are willing to believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead, then you also have to believe that you'll stand before him in judgment. Because you, they, those two things go together, right? Jesus, if he's been raised from the dead, and I believe he has, means that he's coming back and he's going he's to preside judgment. And that means we're going to stand in judgment. But the good news for us is that we don't have to fear that judgment because that same resurrected Christ is willing to stand in our place. He's willing to stand in the presence of the Father on behalf of us because he is reversing our story. We all want to live, right? I don't know anybody that says, hey, I want to die. Nobody says that, right? We all want to live. And we're going to have the power to live by accepting Jesus, by allowing him to stand in our place in the presence of the Father. You see, Jesus reversed that big story of Adam, that big curse. But he also reversed Mary's story. I love Mary. She's such an interesting character in Scripture. She's not a cardboard cutout figure in the Bible. She she was involved in the occult. She'd lived a pretty rough life. Scripture says that when Jesus first met Mary, she had seven demons with, with living within her. She was the kind of woman that if she were at that point in her life now, and she were able to walk in our front doors, we'd all kind of go, oh, I don't know about this. I'll kind of just take a step back and say, yeah, hey, mate, there's, a, there's an empty seat over there. I'm going to go sit over here, right? Like That's, that's how we would we'd hold her at a distance. But Jesus, Jesus knew her, and he loved her. And he redeemed her. And he said to her, go tell my disciples. He chose her to take the message of his resurrection to the disciples. Go and tell my brothers. And Mary went and she took that that message to those men. And those men took it to other people, who took it to other people, who took it to other people, who took it to other people. And for thousands of years, they've been taking that message to other people. And somebody finally told it to me, and somebody finally told it to you. And if you've never heard it before, I'm telling you now, Jesus isn't in the tomb. He's risen. Right? We ought to say amen to that, right? He used this former demonized, occultic, hopeless woman to save the world through the message of the gospel. He reverses the story of deception, the lie that you're not worth anything, that that your your past is going to be your present and it's going to be your future and it's always going to define you. He reverses that lie and says, no, 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 no. You're worthy. You're redeemed. You're mine. Some of you are still under that curse. There are a hundred different stories in this room. There are a hundred different stories of people watching online, but there are really only two. One walks from a garden into a grave, and one walks from a grave into a garden. Some of you can leave and you can go home and you can eat and take your nap and and say to yourself, it's nothing, it's nothing, It's, it's, it's nothing to it. But if you do, keep in mind whose voice you're listening to. Others of you, you hear him calling your name, calling you by name. And it doesn't matter how awful the story is that you have written for yourself. It doesn't matter how terrible the story is that you have enacted for yourself. He can reverse it. He can turn it around. He can conform you to his image. And he can give you life through his blood. But you have to hear it. You have to hear him call your name. You have to be willing to to listen for the voice of Jesus calling your name. And when he calls your name, he invites you to, to come. Because here's the, here's the reality. is You can't claw out of a grave by yourself. You just can't. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can turn graves into gardens. And he's calling you by name. He's calling you to walk out of that grave. And into the garden that he has prepared for us. He's calling you by name. Are you going to listen to him? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we are so Incredibly grateful. And that's not even the right word to use. But we are so grateful and thankful that You have given Your life on our behalf. That You have reversed the story. That You have reversed the story of corruption and alienation. That we don't have to be separated from You anymore. You've reversed the story of of condemnation that we are no longer guilty in your presence that you stand in our place and you've reversed the story of deception we don't have to believe the lies that are told anymore we can believe you we can trust you and we can walk out of the graves and into the garden through the power of the blood of Jesus father we love you it's in Christ's name that we pray Amen.